Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your hosts, Nat Strong and Allie. Hey guys, and welcome back to episode 66. So exciting. You know, if we could just add one more six on the end, this would be a very important podcast, (laughs) but we haven't gotten there yet. The story that I'm going to tell today, I'm really excited about. I found it in the Discord. Someone was talking about it um, under podcast ideas. So I'm like really, really excited. And I'm also excited because I heard we got some packages we're going to unbox. Oh, hell yes, we did. I went to the P.O. Box. Honestly, it was like two weeks ago. And we like to... (laughs) We like to unbox them together. I think it's kind of lame if I'm just opening it and then sending pictures of what it is to Natalia. So I forgot to do it last episode. I'm going to do it this episode. Do you want me to do that right now? Yeah. I mean, I just found out about this just now. So yeah, (laughs) I didn't know there were packages. Well, guys, if you would like to send us a package, you can do so by mailing us a letter or a box or a severed head to P.O. Box 1658, Camarillo, California, 93011. Yeah, that was a joke. Please don't send us anything creepy because it will affect me for the rest of my life. And And Alyssa will find you and hunt you down as you guys know. She she gets really excited about taking someone down. So don't (laughs) give her a reason. Don't give me a reason to take the law into my own hands. Okay, we have our first package here from... Ooh... Okay, wait, I'm not going to tell you who it's from because this is a business name and I think it might give it away. Okay, but look at this beautiful packaging, rose gold. I feel like I'm on the QVC channel. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The way that Alyssa uses scissors is like so scary. It's just like the most unsafe way to use scissors. I can't even explain it. Okay, guys, there is no letter in here, so it looks like uh, a company just decided to send us some stuff, and the name of the company is arabellacrystals.com. This this is a first. We have no letter to what? accompany these items. Let's see what they are. Let's big time them back and just not even... <laughs> open their gift just send it straight back okay guys arabella crystals sent us two candles one for me and one for nat the first one oh yeah it says tourmaline protection yeah it is a frankincense scented candle you burn it down and there's a tourmaline is that you pronounce it tourmaline crystal at the bottom and then the second one is a vanilla candle with clear quartz at the bottom oh it says power healer love that wait which one is for me and which one's for you or did it say just for whatever it doesn't say so i guess do you need power healer or protection power healer yeah i need the protection good call okay (laughs) so thank you very much arabella crystals yeah thank you wow we got a big time let's send him a bill yeah (laughs) yeah what if this is just something that i ordered and forgot about (laughs) that's awesome does anyone else have that problem where you're like in I wouldn't call it a depressive state, but you're just like, you can't sleep and it's like three in the morning and you've just accepted that you're going to go to work on no sleep. And so you start browsing Etsy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that I bought this, but if I was on enough Benadryl, who knows what happened? (laughs) Okay. Second package. This one comes from Kiwana C from Nevada. Hmm. This one does have a letter. It says, a gift for you. Allie, this one's for you because aliens and coffee make everything better Mm. from Caitlin M. 
Whoa. Right, let's let's see what we got here. Ooh, this is super cute. I'm gonna take this to work. Oh, cute. It's an alien tumbler coffee mug. I love it. Thank Very you so cute. much, Caitlin. This one is from Amazon Fulfillment Services to Let's Get Haunted. So this let's see if this is from an anonymous sender. Mm. It says a gift for you. Hey, ladies, sorry this is going to come in multiple packages. That's how Amazon do it, apparently. But I'm very excited for your precious little alien to come. So wanted to send you baby things from Caitlin M. Okay, so oh. Caitlin sent me an alien coffee mug and she sent you... Oh, Oh, and a book. It says, I love my mom because cute super cute and then she also got you and it's a little otter oh. and a little alien plushie oh my gosh Enzo. Oh, I love it. enzo's gonna have the wildest like nursery and then she also got oh this is cute it's a little baby shirt that says peekaboo and it has ghosts on it oh wow i can't wait to take just pictures of enzo and all of this love it He's just going to be surrounded by stuffed aliens and wearing like five different outfits with ghosts on it. It's going to be amazing. He's not even going to know what hit him. Thank you guys very much. We really appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Let's go ahead and thank our donors while we're on this thanking brigade right now. Hell yes. I'll start. For this episode, I would like to thank Christina E., Martha S., Shelby H and Caroline W. Thank you guys so much. And I wanted to give a special shout out to Shelby H who donated $66.60. Thank you. All of the donations, no matter what size they are, really help us out. But we know money is not easy to make. And so when you donate your money to us, it's really like you're donating your time to us. So giving that much of your time to us, thank you. Really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you very much. And I would like to thank Izzy W, Jennifer P, Summer V, Cara H, or Cara H, Scott V, Audra T, Gianna G, Lily C, Maya L, Jonna H, and Michelle H. Now, if I accidentally just read your name twice, maybe I read it last episode and I forgot. I'm sorry, but also you're welcome because then that means you got two <laughs> shout outs and a special thank you to Jennifer P who donated $69.69, wow. which is an excellent number. So thank you very much, guys. Like Natalia said, any size donation really helps us out. Also, special thanks to everyone who's been ordering merch. You can get your official haunted, officially haunted LGH merch at letsgethaunted.com and also thank you to everyone who voted for us in the shorty awards yes. voting is now closed yeah i know i don't know what to do with myself anymore like i just got I so know. used to going on twitter every day and being like i voted and now i'm like oh there's nothing for me to live for exactly i know but <laughs> what's kind of funny is that so uh the shorties they announce the winners they don't have an exact date but on their website, it says the end of April, they announce the winners. And then the Webbies opens up for voting at the end of April. Oh, wow. So we'll see. But we're not even guaranteed like finalists in the Webbies or anything. We just paid to submit an application. I'm just happy that we became finalists in the shorties because just becoming a finalist was like you have to go through this rigorous process and they choose you out of like 
thousands of applicants and stuff so i'm i'm happy same i'm extremely happy thank you guys so much like i feel like we've just had so many positive hauntings lately that i really don't have anything haunted to tell you other than i am back in my room so hopefully the echo is not that bad i have migrated from the closet because last episode we (laughs) cut it out but like halfway through me telling nat a story i looked down and realized that my feet were covered in ants because i have an ant problem where i'm living (laughs) right now and i like freaked out and then i had to squat for the rest of the time that i was recording because it would have taken too long to set up in a different room so this time today i thought i'm just gonna try it back in my room and see what happens i like it i feel like it's so professional yes well i'm slightly less hunched so i think that's what gives it that vibe yeah i don't have any like personal hauntings but i did want to talk about i had my baby shower this weekend and it was very fun Alyssa yeah. organized the whole thing she forced everyone to get either covid test <laughs> proof that you were <laughs> negative or show proof of vaccination so if anyone is upset that we had a very small gathering uh, you have no need to be because Alyssa was texting all of the people that came, which was a very small group, every single day for months ahead of time saying, you will not be allowed inside if you don't show me a negative test or vaccine. That is correct. <laughs> but <laughs> I know once we got that out of the way, it was really, really fun. Alyssa set up a, like a great baby shower for me. And I thank you. I, it was oh, great. Thank you. Yeah. It was yeah. Really I had a great time. I don't remember if I've said this publicly publicly or not maybe not but that was like the first time that any of those girls had been out of their house in like a year so it was really fun to just be able to you know come together and hang out yeah I definitely was being kind of a bitch about the COVID testing but I also feel like everyone understood uh even the people who were fully vaccinated I made get a COVID test so we were yeah big (laughs) feel like some of those people wouldn't have come if it wasn't so strictly enforced, and so I was just happy to see everyone, you know? Right, yeah. yeah. Um, so we're not going to talk about how lit everybody was at that baby shower? <laughs> You're just going to uh, glaze well, over that? <laughs> well, so our friend Chelsea, uh, who, again, I had not seen in over a year, she is a very talented florist in Los Angeles, and we wanted to have some pretty flowers at the shower, So she was doing all of our flowers for us and she worked really fucking hard. And so Chelsea and I, on the day of the shower, we were like, you know what? We're going to get a little bit tipsy because we deserve (laughs) it. And so we did. So obviously I'm not drinking because I'm pregnant, but I okayed alcohol at the shower because I just wanted everyone to have fun. And let me tell you guys, as being someone who was 100% sober, witnessing a small group of girls who hadn't seen each other in a year and hadn't drank socially in a year all come together it was like seeing like 16 year olds like get into their parents liquor cabinet and go to a concert at one point it was oh my god chelsea listens to this so i'll call her out at one point (laughs) chelsea turned the music from like just like ambient noise that was in the background of the uh baby shower to loosen up my buttons by the pussycat dolls and like made it really really loud 
loud and everyone looked at her and she was like dancing around for a second then she goes oh is this not the vibe and then just turned it back <laughs> down and i was like no no no, go for it it's, it's great i, I it had a lot great. of fun and then we were playing these like baby shower games which are historically like pretty boring and like baby showers are known for being just sort of like stiff right because there's usually not any alcohol right. and like everyone's just like trying to be very respectful of the pregnant woman and you know like keeping it chill and stuff but i was like let's have fun so we were playing these games where you have to match socks together it's like a big basket of like baby socks and and you have like 20 seconds or something to match them together and there was like a a group of three girls who were lit and they were i you guys have to i have to show you a video or something because they were like literally screaming let me see if i have the sound from it it was so funny yes shout out to amy she listens to this podcast amy was lit amy was having the time of her life trying to help people match socks and then our other friend Alyssa who also listens to this podcast was like holding Amy back. It was like yes. picture someone that's really drunk and they're trying to fight you and like someone else is holding them back. Like, hold me back, bro. That's what was going on. Except for Amy was having a great time. She wasn't angry. Listen to this. Now, when you when you hear this audio, you might be thinking, wow, did they invite 20 people over? No, that all of that noise is being made by like two people. Yeah, really incredible. It was really fun. It was uh, I don't think anyone's ever had a baby shower like that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, if you guys have a lit. crazier baby shower, <laughs> then please let us know about it. Let us know in the comments what your favorite crazy baby shower experience <laughs> has been. Absolutely. Or you can go to our Instagram at Let's Get Haunted, where we're going to be dropping the photo dump for this episode. And you can tell us about crazy baby shower experiences that you've had in those comments as well. Speaking of the Instagram, you can head to our Instagram to see all of the images from today's episode. Alyssa, are you ready to hear the story? I am super fucking ready. Tell me about it. July 14th, 1918. An American submarine known as L-2 captained by Paul Foster, was positioned at periscope depth off the coast of Ireland. The submarine was traveling south of an island known as Cape Clear. At 20 meters below the surface of the water, visibility was good. The water was clear, and the conditions were perfect for the submarine to continue coasting covertly under the depths of the sea. The submarine traveled quietly and confidently ahead. Suddenly, An object appeared. Ahead in the distance, a shadow floated on the surface of the water. At first, the captain reasoned that it was a buoy or some sort of marker. As the L2 inched closer, it became clear that this was no humble buoy marking. No, it was a German U-boat. The German submarine was floating on the surface, out in the open air for all to see. It was shocking to witness a U-boat in person, as they were famous for their stealth. German U-boats had sunk quite a few vessels thus far in the war. They were dangerous and undetectable, yet here the German U-boat was, in all its glory, 
shamelessly exposed for anyone to notice or even attack. The captain of the L2 was bewildered. Was there a reason to be alarmed? Was this a trap? Almost instantaneously, a man appeared on the prow of the German U-boat. Captain Foster watched the figure with intensity. It was a German officer next to the torpedoes. Standing with arms folded and his gaze out to sea, he looked unconcerned. Captain Foster began to sweat. If the German officer spotted the American L-2, he would certainly alert his crew and fire upon the Americans. He had to attack first. Captain Foster signaled the L-2 crew to their action stations to ready for battle. Right as he was about to order his men to fire on the German U-boat, an explosion shook through the water and temporarily blinded Captain Paul Foster through the looking glass of his periscope. The German U-boat had completely been engulfed in flames. An explosion had taken the German U-boat down without the Americans ever firing upon it. When the smoke cleared, the German U-boat had vanished into thin air. Captain Foster approached the wreck site, but there was no wreck. There was no German U-boat, no debris, no sign of an explosion. There was nothing. Days later, the Germans put out a message that the German U-boat UB-65 was missing, assumed lost at sea with a crew of 34 men aboard. German U-boat UB-65 was a deadly ship. She had been known to scout up as far north as the Western Isles of Scotland and had sunk a considerable amount of merchant ships in the English Channel and damaged many more. In fact, the day before Captain Paul Foster spotted her floating atop the water, she had sunk a large Portuguese coaster, the Maria Jose. Yes, UB-65 had a deadly reputation. But German submarine UB-65 also had something much more concerning, an undead reputation. In the German military, UB-65 was known to be haunted. The German men who had sailed aboard UB-65 and lived told tales of freak accidents, unexplained deaths, suicides from unlikely candidates, apparitions, and supernatural forces. This is the story of German U-boat UB-65. Ooh. Alyssa, have you heard of this story before? No, I never have. You know what a German U-boat is? It's a submarine, right? That is exactly right. Do you know the difference between a a submarine and a U-boat? I don't. Okay, well, you're in luck because a U-boat and a German submarine are essentially the same thing, at least as far as I'm concerned. It's like a boat that goes underwater instead of on top of it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, So I'm sending you a photo right now of the L2, which is the boat that Captain Foster was driving that saw the UB-65. Okay. So this is, you said this is the American? Yeah, this is the American, U-boat? the American U-boat um, that I was telling the story from, like the perspective okay. of, with the captain looking out of the periscope. Okay, guys. So I am looking at a black and white photo of a submarine or U-boat um, that is 
slightly above the water and you can see a bunch of Navy servicemen uh, standing on the top. Yeah, they're all just like lined up standing on the top while the submarine has surfaced. And can you describe kind of like what that ship looks like? It's like really skinny, right? Like a razor's edge. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have ever played the board game. I don't know if this is just an American thing, but there's a board game called Battleship. Oh, yeah. And I used to play it all the time as a kid. And if you've ever played Battleship, you know that there's submarines. Submarines are one of the the vehicles that you have to hide on your map. And I mean, it looks exactly like that. So it's like a, um, I would say maybe like a eye-shaped or or diamond shaped maybe a little bit but really skinny so if you took like a diamond and then you smushed it and rounded out the edges I would (laughs) say that's what it's shaped like (laughs) and then it has its little porthole periscope situation going on um, I would say in the back half of the boat and then there's people standing all along the boat and there's little portholes peeking up out of the water yeah, and this photo is really cool. If you go to Atlas Get Haunted, you can see it right now. There's like foggy mountains in the background. It's pretty, pretty neat. Here's some history. So the difference between a U-boat and a submarine is that a U-boat is an anglicized version of the German word U-boot, which is a shortening of Unterseeboot, which means like an underwater boat. Um, okay. And while the German term refers to any submarine, the English one refers specifically to a set of military submarines operated by Germany, particularly in the First and Second World Wars. So in Germany, uh, U-boot might mean just submarine, but when we when we say U-boat, we mean these specific submarines that were in operation during World War One and World War Two. So is it like the difference between jacuzzi and hot tub? Is U-boat like a brand name or is it... I'm, I don't think I'm understanding the difference. So I am going to tell you right now. Okay, good, because I need help. <laughs> Germany, <laughs> World War One. Got it? Yes, got it. Great. Check. Quick recap. Early 1916, at the start of World War One. Germany is not doing well in the, in the war. They're just not having good time. They're not doing what they want to do, to say the least. And so the German engineers try to come up with this new weapon that's going to turn the war in their favor. And they come up with this idea. They're like, okay, we're going to create a boat that's going to go under the water and it's going to be impossible to hit underwater. It's going to be covert, super stealth. And thus, German U-boats were born. These U-boats were faster, more durable, and they lasted longer than any of their predecessors of underwater boats during war. However, in order to make it this like amazing military machine, they sacrificed space and safety for efficiency. They thought like the skinnier this boat is, the harder it's going to be to hit it when it's coming directly at you, right? Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like torpedo shaped too. So they're super fast. Um, As we know, submarines are famously dangerous for their crew during battle because even if, like, you barely get hit. Oh, my God. The submarines stress me out so much. Like, I would never want to go on one ever. (laughs) Just thinking about it gives me anxiety. Yeah, it seems like it would be really claustrophobic. Totally. Right? And then... And then like you're saying, if you get hit, it's not like you can just swim to the surface because they're so deep down there. 
Right. Like even if you opened up a hatch or something, all the water is going to come into the submarine. It would be impossible to get out. Like the risk of drowning is just so high. So even a small mishap within the vessel, like say like some explosion goes off because you're just carrying all your ammo with you in this little underwater boat, you would just explode underwater. So the German U-boats... They're the new ones that they created for World War One. They're top of the line warships. I mean, this was like cutting edge stuff. Everyone was afraid of the U-boat itself, but a haunted U-boat would have been absolutely terrifying. Yeah, yeah, dude, fuck that. Also, the other thing I want to say about these submarines is they weren't really like ocean going ships. They what they did, how they worked is that they raided and they lurked in like really shallow water near estuaries and bays and they waited for ships to enter or leave ports. And they tried to cut off like merchant ships and they cut off supply ships. And that was how they really worked was like stealth. They weren't really for like a big naval battle. It was more like covert operations and they would like scout out and stuff. They're like all about stealth. Okay. Let me recap in case other people are on allergy medication as well. So you're basically telling me that a U-boat, the term U-boat refers to a German submarine, specifically yes. the ones that were used in World War One, And World War Two, yes. And World War Two. Okay. Gotcha. So, okay, I don't know why I'm so stuck on this. So Americans used submarines and Germans used U-boats. Yes. Okay. All right. Got it. Exactly. But the reason you're confused is because, like, today a German would call any submarine they have a U-boat. Okay. Because it means, like, untersea boat, like an underwater boat. But uh -huh. an American wouldn't call any old G German submarine a U-boat. They would call specifically these boats from World War One and World War Two U-boats. Okay, got it. Does so it sense? was basically like Americans hearing Germans refer to it as an undersea boat and then them yes. interpreting that as like, oh, this is a U-boat. And since it was right. made so like specifically for stealth, it's yes. not like a standard blueprint submarine that they were just like, oh, this particular kind of submarine must be called a U-boat. Yes, exactly. And okay. this was German engineering at its finest. These submarines were so well built. The U-boats were so well built and they were so successful that some of the units that survived the war and were captured by like other countries that weren't Germany, they would just repurpose the U-boat for their own and use it like as their own scouting ship. They would like take oh, these ships as prizes and use them. But the UB-65 was unlike any other German U-boat which graced the seas because the UB-65 was damned from the start. Ooh. Here's a photo of the UB-65 in port in Belgium. Okay, I'm ready. I'm really excited to see this because you've been hyping up this specific u-boat it's just a like a black and white photo of a boat <laughs> and i'm like okay but black and white photos make everything creepier and then here's also a photo of the crew which i think looks really creepy okay guys so natalia is sending me black and white photos of this particular u-boat ub65 is that what you said it, yes. its number was Okay, yes. and so, yeah, it's a super... It's exactly as Natalia described it. It's a super, super skinny, short... I mean, it looks like a little sliver. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's, like, hella long, obviously. Like, you can tell in the photo that it's very long. But it just compared to other submarines or other boats that I've seen pictures of, yeah, it looks like a little tiny sliver 
and it's long as shit. There's somebody standing on top of it. It's a black and white photo. And then the second photo she sent, oh, this is super haunted. The second photo she sent me, this isn't normal. That guy, second, the guy second to the left looks like he's been dead a long time. I know. They're so, so scary. <laughs> so she just sent me a black and white photo of the crew that operated this U-boat. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There are nine people in this photo, which is already my unlucky number. So <laughs> I'm not feeling super good about it. The feng shui is off. This is a bad number. And they're wearing these little hats. Um, yeah, they kind of look like navy hats, but they're they look like a cross between an American navy hat and a chef's like Chef Boyardee's <laughs> chef hat. Like a, if you took Chef Boyardee's hat and you just smashed it down, they're like that's little what berets. This looks like to me. I think you, yeah, you think, yeah, like a military beret. Yeah, but the one on the bottom looks like a Chef Boyardee hat, and that's it, why it looks like who's that little white dough guy that works for Pillsbury? Yeah, the Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah, <laughs> I want you, you guys. Natalia just said, "Who's that little doughboy that works for Pillsbury?" It's the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> yeah, that's what his hat looks like, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does. Wait, hold on. Is the Pillsbury Doughboy called the Pillsbury Doughboy because he's made yes, out of dough, or because he is a doughboy? Like he works it with the dough. Okay, well, first of all, he's haunted. I think we can all agree that the Pillsbury Doughboy is haunted. He is... If you guys don't know who he is, don't know why you wouldn't know, he is a white uh, anthropomorphic piece of dough <laughs> with little arms and legs, and he's got this little belly, and if you poke his belly, he goes, woohoo! <laughs> and he's got a and little Chef Boyardee hat on, which, right. you know, some people would say, that's just called a chef hat, Allie. Well... I like Chef Boyardee. No, we're Americans and everything is branded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys comment below if you think that the Pillsbury Doughboy is called that because he's made out of dough or he's called that because he's his job is dough. a doughboy. Well, he also is like a, a pizza man. Sometimes would be a man. He's rolling the dough. Wait, if he's rolling the dough and he's made out of dough, is he a cannibal? Because he doesn't eat the dough, does he? I don't think he does. No, but he's still preparing dough for, for others humans. to eat. What if it's yeah. his dough he's preparing? Like he regenerates dough, like he chops off his own arms and legs and then regenerates new yeah. arms and legs and then rolls those arms and legs and bakes them and serves them to people. All right, guys, back to our story. Look, there may never be a solution to this, but if you know what's going on with the Pillsbury Doughboy, let us know. Alternatively, Pillsbury, if you're listening to this, I would like to be sponsored by you because I really like biscuits. <laughs> so in May of 1916, the Imperial Navy placed an order with Hamburg's Vulcan Shipyard for the production of 24 UB Type 3 submarines, one of which was marked UB-65 because it was the 65th made submarine. And that is where the name comes from. And apparently, at the beginning, she was no different from these other, you know, 24... Wait, that doesn't make sense. Whatever. One of them was marked UB-65. I guess we don't know why. <laughs> Okay. Well, you said it's the 65th one made, right? I know, but it but there wasn't. It was only 24 made. Oh. Another mystery. <laughs> Another mystery. So apparently UB-65 was no different from her sister ships. But not long after her spine was laid, an extremely bizarre series of events Gross. began. 
The first incident occurred only a week into UB65 construction. Two workers were standing in the shipyard talking when a steel hull being lowered suddenly slipped out of the crane's chains and fell on the two workers below, killing one man instantly. The second man was pinned under the steel beam by the legs, screaming in agony as his co-workers tried to remove the hull from his legs. After more than an hour of trying, with the man crying out in fear and pain, the beam was removed. But it was too late. The man died in the hospital later that day. Oh my god. The crew chalked the incident up to human error, and they returned to the construction of the UB-65. Now, I really want to paint the picture of what life was like on one of these submarines. So I'm going to send you some photos of what the inside of this type of vessel looks like. And these photos are from a different German Type 3 U-boat, So, it, but it would still be identical to the UB-65. It was a German UB-110. So the photos I just sent you of one of those German U-boat Type 3 submarines are as follows. The first photo is a photo of the electrical control room and the torpedo room. Yeah, you guys, this looks insane. Yeah, it's super claustrophobic. So there, first of all, there's like light bulbs with those cages over them. You know, like when you're trying to decorate your living room in an industrial <laughs> style, so you go to like Urban Outfitters or something and they have those light bulbs that are covered in cages. Okay, well, these are like the original right. industrial style interior. There's all of these like valves and little tiny... Um, wheels like literally all over the place like every single wall the ceiling obviously not on the floor because they've got to walk but like cords I mean this looks super claustrophobic the second photo is the sleeping quarters and the crew room so this would be like where you go to relax after a long day of turning little wheels and being like all right mates <gasps> aye aye cap'n and then you go to this little tiny yeah it's bunk beds it's I really don't know how to describe this other than by saying it's a lot of metal and it's really small. It's so small. It's probably like seven feet tall or something. And the bunk beds are on top of each other. Like you wouldn't be able to sit up in your bunk bed. Like you would have to like crawl into it from the side and like shimmy into it. Um, And the crew. Yeah, this is crazy to think that 34 people were on this boat. And that's what it looked like. 34? Oh, I missed that. Yeah, that's way too many people for the size of this vessel. These pictures Natalia is sending me. I, w- I thought there were Look only Look at how nine. claustrophobic this is. Go to the next photo. Those are where you put the torpedoes in. Mm-hmm. See, they're, they're like little like manholes. And then go to the next photo. Yeah. See that little tiny hole on the wall of all those dials? What? That's a manhole that you would crawl through to get to the periscope room. I, I really can't even tell you guys how many... It looks like steering wheels just all over the wall in varying shapes and But how and claustrophobic is that tiny manhole? Like, it's got to be, like, two feet. Yeah. First of all, these people all must no. have been super small because this manhole is, like, literally two feet tall and, like, maybe a foot wide. It's so tiny. It's scary. It's, yeah, and then no. Not The next photo there. is the lockers. So, like, all of your belongings would fit in one of those little tiny shoebox compartment things yeah you could fit maybe a pair of shoes and one change of clothes and a toothbrush like i really don't see much else fitting in that yeah so that is like the quality of life that you have going on in these boats so 
super claustrophobic. Uh, everyone's really on top of each other. And this shit is haunted, as you're going to find out. So a couple weeks after the UB-65 was finished, three mechanics arrive on board to check out, like, and make sure, you know, run tests and stuff. And they want to make sure that their operational test on this new diesel engine is going well before they can, like, clear the boat to go out into the water. So after some time passes, the other workers on the UB-65 notice that there's no movement being detected from the engine room. And it's really silent, and they think that's kind of suspicious because this is a really small quarters like you just saw in those photos. So, like, if somebody's doing something, you can hear it. So someone goes to check on the mechanics, and they hear something horrible. Inside the engine room, the mechanics were coughing and crying out for help. When the door was opened, the three mechanics were found lying on the floor unconscious. They had choked on exhaust gas, which had somehow got back into the locked room. The three mechanics apparently had tried to get out of the engine room, but for some reason, they could not open the door. Yet when the workers came to the engine room to rescue the mechanics, the door opened without difficulty. All the mechanics were rescued, but it was too late. They all died from carbon monoxide poisoning. Nobody knew why or how the engine fumes escaped. However, no investigation was ordered as the U-boats were needed as quickly as possible. Service continued with the two accidents causing talk of the ship being haunted or cursed. So those two incidents already before the boat has even got on to the sea. Incident number three, June 26th, 1917. The UB-65 was launched and sea trials begin. A temporary crew is aboard the UB-65 on the surface of the high seas when one of the non-commissioned officers is sent forward by the captain to carry out some inspections before the ship goes underwater. Apparently, the captain of the boat asked the cadet to go up and close the deck gun doors, but the cadet was never seen again. What? The weather was bad that day, and the sea was restless. So a report later said the sailor had been swept off the deck by the waves, but according to the bridge watch, the cadet just hopped off the submarine like he was committing suicide. After a search, no body was found. That's insane. I know, right? And that, like, just imagine that. Like, you're the captain of this U-boat. You've got your crew of 34 guys. This was, like, this guy's job, it sounds like, to go up there and shut the hatch or whatever he was doing. Yeah. Close off the whatever. Yeah. And then he goes up there, and then the guy that's on watch just sees him walk over to the side of the deck and just hop off. I'm picturing, like, a haunted as shit, like, Navy person just pencil dropping off the side (sighs) of this boat. Like, not saying a word. So scary. Oh. First of all, to jump into the, like, dark water... Something about really deep blue ocean, like when you're out at sea and you can't see anything in any direction is so scary to me. It's very disorienting. Don't like that. Incident number four. Despite the morale of the ship being low from the suicide, mechanic deaths, and workers who were killed during the ship's construction, the UB-65 continued through her tests and trials. The crew readied themselves for the cursed UB-65's first dive. The captain ordered the submarine to descend, and everything seemed to go as planned until the captain tried to get the submarine to stop descending. 
The boat malfunctioned and just kept going down deeper and 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 deeper until oh man that's deep the UB-65 hit the bottom of the seafloor and lay there motionless they were unable to pump the water out of the ballast tanks due to a cracked pipe so they're just sitting on the seafloor way deeper than they're supposed to be with no way to get back up making me sweat no way to get back up and then to make matters worse all of a sudden a leak sprung in the tanks and poisonous gas begins filling the submarine vessel while they're down at the bottom unable to come back up the infiltrating water reached the batteries which released more and more chlorine gas so it wasn't enough for the air to run out but the corrosive ye- but the corrosive yellowish green gas was slowly spreading throughout the ship and obviously the crew starts to panic they think they're going to die down at the bottom of the ocean in this like iron coffin in this tiny cramped space with no way to get to the surface and escape the underwater gas chamber the men panicked 12 hours passed before the boat suddenly rose up unexplainably and extremely quickly back to the surface The crew panicked to get to fresh air, and they squished and squeezed like a human crush to get over each other, stampeding to get out of the submarine. They finally got out of the UB-65 with just a nick of time left. Twelve hours was the absolute maximum amount of time to be submerged. Minutes more submerged, and the crew would have entirely perished. It was already too late for two people. Two of the crew died in the hospital two days later from the chlorine gas poisoning. The UB-65 had already killed eight people before meeting an enemy at all. That's, That's got to be the worst way uh, to die, I feel like, to just... Yeah. I don't even, like, really have any words. I just feel like that's so... I can't I can't really think of anything much scarier. Well, w- wait till you hear the next thing. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Well, I was going to say, I feel like one of the reasons why I'm afraid of airplanes is because... If something goes wrong, there's nothing you can do. You're just literally in this like little confined space yeah. with these seatbelts that aren't really going to save you. Yeah. Like if you crash, like you're not going to be saved because of your seatbelt. And so then I just think of like a really tiny tin can just like an airplane. But now you're underwater right. and you're just instead of going really high in the air, you're going super fucking deep. And again, it's the same thing. There's nothing you can do. If something goes wrong, you're just trapped. Right. And, and like your fate is in. That's what I don't like. I don't like the idea that no matter what I do, I can't it, like if fate wants to take me, it's going to take me. Right. Because you're not designed to survive, you know, 10,000 feet up into the air or like below or water. 10,000 feet in the water. Yes, yeah, exactly. So this next part is even worse. <laughs> after that happened, after they have this horrible like testing thing go wrong they are just like okay well we're just gonna repair the ship and then we'll send out more you guys back out like uh, it should be done in a few days like and the crew is like um no we are not fucking doing that like i do not want to get back on that <laughs> get us shit. A new are you ki- yeah are you kidding yeah. me so they repair this whole ship 
And when the new ship comes into service on August 18th in 1917, the crew is already convinced that the ship is damned. They like are like prepared to just right. die on this thing because it's already killed so many people, you know? So while the UB-65 is like restocking on supplies and ammo and, and all of this stuff that they have to routinely put into the submarine because they have to put torpedoes on there that um, that's like what the submarine does it like shoots torpedoes right so they're right. putting torpedoes on the ub-65 when disaster strikes crates containing food and other equipment were crammed into the already cramped interior of the ub-65 one of the bulky steel cigar torpedoes exploded right as it was lowered by a crane into a narrow loading opening five people including lieutenant richter who was in charge of loading, a second officer in the UB-65, died instantly, and eight were seriously injured. One of the deceased was second officer Der Schwartz, or the Black, because of his darker complexion. Although nobody knew why the torpedo exploded, a curse was known by the crew to have hold of the UB-65. A new crew was brought in to replace some of the dead men, and during a roll call, an officer and a cadet claimed to have seen Dare Schwartz standing in the back of the group. <gasps> Time went on, and more and more crew claimed to see the dead man on the submarine. The morale of the submarine was lower than it had ever been, and the captain urged the crew to quit bringing up the dead man. So now they're seeing ghosts, like you thought things couldn't get worse and now there's ghosts yeah no i just i feel like there's only two options right if all of this bad shit is happening to this one particular u-boat then either a it's cursed and haunted or b like something is seriously flawed with its design that can't be fixed because it's like some critical part of like I don't know. I'm not an engineer, but like the geometry right. or the like whatever to construct it is wrong. So no matter what you do in either scenario, it's not going to just it's not a matter of like, oh, we're just going to go do a little tinkering and now it's totally fine and mm -hmm. let's all hop in this U-boat and do our mission. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the the thing is, is like life on these U-boats was like super ruthless. So I'm going to tell you a, a little story of what happened to some people who went down on a U-boat so you can kind of like understand. Okay. I feel like this is going to give me anxiety. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to our podcast, guys. It's the podcast where I freak out for an hour. So <laughs> this article, this is from an article on rarehistoricalphotos.com that was published in November 2013 about uh, okay. a German Type 3 U-boat. On July 19, 1918, while under the command of Captain Lieutenant Werner Furbringer, UB-110 was depth-charged, rammed, and sunk near the Tyne by HMS Gary, commanded by Charles Lytoller, possibly the last U-boat to be sunk during the Great War. In his post-war memoirs, Furbringer alleged that after the sinking, HMS Gary hovered to and opened fire with revolvers and machine guns on the unarmed survivors of the UB-110. During the ensuing massacre, Furbringer watched the skull of an 18-year-old member of his crew being split open by a lump of coal hurled by a Royal Navy sailor, 
when Furbringer attempted to help a wounded officer to swim, he was told, let me die in peace. The swine are going to murder us anyhow. The shooting only ceased when the convoy the destroyer had been escorting, and which contained many neutral flagged ships, arrived on the scene. He later recalled, quote, As if by magic, the British now let down some lifeboats into the water. Lieutenant Commander Lightoller was awarded a bar to his Distinguished Service Cross for sinking the UB-110. A total of 23 members of the UB-110's crew died during the sinking and the alleged ensuing massacre. Yeah, it sounds like you've just described a war crime, yeah. right? Because if you capture from like what little I know of war etiquette, which sounds so funny, it sounds like an oxymoron, right? Uh, is that when you capture an enemy vessel, those who surrender and no longer pose a threat to you are supposed to be taken as POWs. Yeah. You're not supposed to just open fire and kill anyone that's standing there unarmed. Right. Like if they don't pose an immediate threat to you and they're saying that they surrender, then you're just supposed to take them in as POWs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I my I can't remember someone who remembers more than me. Um, what when was it that we came up with like war crimes? Because I feel like there was a there was a long time where we just didn't give a fuck. And then they like all got together. Maybe it was like the U.N. or something and was like, hey by the way, we're not going to do this anymore. And everyone was like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, I think like, I think war etiquette has been around for a really long time, like ever since we've been having wars. But yeah, I don't know when they like formally came up with a list of rules that like you have to subscribe to. I think it may have been the UN, but even still, there are a lot of countries that don't participate in the united nations mm -hmm. so it's not like they would be following those rules anyway so i feel like it's more of like a gentleman's agreement which is an expression in american english so nobody get triggered is like <laughs> it, it's like if you've ever heard of like a gentleman's bet it's just where there's no contract you just like shake yeah. on it type of thing it's like for honor and so everyone just takes each other at its word exactly it's like for honor yeah. i feel like that's what a lot of those rules are so i guess it is easy to break them but it sounds like that's just a war crime. Right. Well, my point of telling you that story was to be like, th this is the kind of conditions that was happening with these submarines. You know, like it like yeah. really you had to be really, really tough and mentally people could break down because, I mean, you you saw what the inside of that thing looked like. Like you're in this little iron coffin with 34 men. There's no sunlight. There's nothing. There's no windows. And at any moment you could be just taken out, you know, and sent to your death like a horrible drowning death or something could go wrong on the boat. Yeah, you just have no control. It's just totally a loss of control. Yeah, with stuff like that, I feel like you either need to be just super mentally strong or you need to be on a lot of drugs because that's that's what we learned from the Vietnam War episode is that a lot of the soldiers who had to be in these like insane conditions that you can't really imagine like those tunnel underground tunnels and stuff like that like people on both sides were just doing like meth because it's like how mm -hmm. do you even how do you even I like I don't know how do you stay sane in that situation if you're sober like I, I don't know. It's funny that you bring that up because that was actually very common for officers to take like opium drugs on these. Yeah, submarines I don't, I don't blame to, them. Like help calm their yeah, nerves. Yeah, like yeah, you've got to be high, you or you need to be on 
you either have to be like out of your mind yeah. like on that's how i would describe like a meth situation yeah. like you're just like so out of your mind that you don't really care what's going on around you or you need to be almost tranquilized to the point where you're like watching someone next to you get murdered and you're just like oh yes i will continue forward because i have no feelings right now uh, yeah yeah just living in the moment <laughs> right <laughs> So after this horrible torpedo incident happens where Richter is killed by this explosion, every, the morale is even lower than it was before. And it was pretty low before. So yeah, I can imagine it was like in the in really under right in at the core of the earth. Like it was as deep as you can go. That sounds like how low the morale was. Pretty bad. So one night, a few weeks after that torpedo incident, the onboard guard bursts into the captain's quarters. He's terrified. He's upset. He's besides himself. The captain, Shell, was famous for just being this like really strict captain who led with an iron fist and like didn't put up with like pussies essentially. Like he was like a real tough right. guy. So the fact that no bullshit. Yeah, this subord one of his subordinate came into his room like crying. He met him with a very stern um, an angry like attitude and he's like what's wrong with you so this like terrified guard is crying and he's saying that he saw just saw the spirit of lieutenant richter the guy that died in the torpedo incident and oh. he was walking along the deck and then he stopped at the bow of the ship and he folded his arms and shell is like i don't believe you you're drunk like i you're just drunk and so I don't, you know, get out of my room. And the guard is like, no, 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 no. I swear I'm completely sober. I really saw a ghost. Like, get up, follow me. You're going to see the ghost too. Like, I promise you. And so the captain is like, okay, fine. So he goes up and he looks for the ghost. And obviously, as ghosts do, the ghost is gone. He's disappeared. Right. So now the captain hasn't seen him. But one of the more experienced and trusted members of the crew, this guy named Peterson, claims that he also saw the apparition and captain shell is like kind of respects this guy a little bit more so he's like okay maybe maybe what your this guard was saying was true maybe he saw the dead lieutenant i don't know but it's not my problem and i have to keep the morale of the ship up and the last thing i need is a ghost right now so the shell <laughs> is like okay if you guys don't stop claiming to see a ghost and get your shit together then i'm going to send you back to the shore and you're going to be brought before a court marshal to be tried for treason and they're like okay they shut shit. up but then two days later peterson just disappeared without a trace escaping from the submarine even though he knew that he would be hung for desertion if he was caught it's so that's how afraid he was Whoa. of this ghost and that's how bad he wanted to get off of this submarine is he was like it's not even worth it like i'm just gonna get off of this no matter what happens this sounds like the submarine from hell <laughs> it, it kind of well, is sounds like it sounds like the submarine has like a portal inside of it to the shadow realm and all of these damned <sighs> soldiers or navy men or whomever are just coming in through the portal and like yeah it just sounds like a demonic it sounds like a demonic u-boat i think it it's the feng shui horrifying. like you know there's no open spaces there's no light right like it's just like a perfect place for demons to just feed on energy of like sad Definitely. depressed people now 
Peterson disappears, you know, these men on board, they, they notice when someone's gone all of a sudden, right? And then, like, rumors are circulating. I, yeah, I just don't understand, like, how you even disappear on a submarine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's either you just straight up, yeah, committed suicide, like, jumped off the side, or you are on the boat you know what i mean like there's no right where to hide it's such a small confined space i know yeah i mean i guess that's would you you would just risk it because they so a lot of these submarines like i said they would hang out in shallow water kind of near the coast so maybe mm-hmm. if you got off and you were a good oh. swimmer you could swim back to shore but i doubt it would be easy maybe yeah so a month passes it's now the evening of january 21st 1918 and the UB65 is on the surface south of Portland Bill on the English Channel. And the deck guard in the tower suddenly shouts, The lieutenant's in the nose! The dead lieutenant, presumably, is in the nose. And the crew hears this and they all rush and they all see the dead Richter standing no. in the nose with his arms folded, staring blankly off into the distance not disturbed by the waves crashing through the nose on him at all. He's just standing what there. The fuck? And literally everyone sees him. And then suddenly he just disappears. And now Captain Shell has personally seen his former subordinate standing on the nose of the ship with his arms folded, even though he yeah. attended his funeral months before. Yeah, like, what do you do at that point? You're this, like, hard-ass right? leader of a U-boat. And up until this point, he's been saying, like, basically, I don't believe you to everyone yes. who comes up to him and says that they've seen something weird to the point where he said, hey, I'm going to court-martial yep. you or, like, dishonorably discharge you or fucking you're going to get murdered. Like, yeah. if, like, you know what I mean? Like, you're going to... I'm going to, like, say that you did something horrible like something i don't know like if you even bring up ghosts yeah he's like you're you guys are killing the vibe with this ghost thing and now right he saw the ghost so he's like is he supposed to just act like the vibe is still the same i mean i think it depends on what his personality is if honestly if i might just be like i don't know what you guys are talking about (laughs) just like continue to gaslight everybody because you're in war you're like in the middle of an ocean as soon as you allow yourself to like believe in the ghosts and hauntings i feel like it gets worse right i know you got to be like just like okay well i guess there's a ghost like not my problem it's not priority (laughs) you know so after that moment the ghost of richter starts just showing up all the time and literally people see this ghost so often that they're so afraid to go to sleep that they like men won't even go to sleep because they're afraid that he's just gonna like appear right in front of them so morale obviously continues to plummet and it's because the so the crew members it's not that they're afraid of the ghost's appearance that's not what they're afraid of they're afraid that he's come to take them with him to the afterlife. Oh, like drag them to hell Essentially, or something. Yeah. And sometimes the ghost was seen in the engine room and he's like looking at the displays and the control instruments and stuff. So they think like he's going to fuck up the boat. You know, he's going to try to like yeah, drag them to, all like, down. Yeah, he's trying to like figure out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And sometimes he's seen in the torpedo chamber where he was killed, but he was seen most frequently and most ominously standing on the bow deck with his arms folded and just staring stiffly off into the distance. He never said anything, although some of the crew claimed that sometimes he seemed to want to say something to them and they just weren't having it. They would like be not want to talk to him at all. 
So he's standing on the bow of the deck and he's just like arms folded, staring off into the distance. And then when people come up, does he like turn around and look at them? Well, they must because it said they said it sounds like he's trying to say something to them. Yeah. And then so he's probably like creepily turning around and like. <laughs> Ah, no. ah, and then just like disappears like fades what do you into a million pieces what do you like do Thanos. if a ghost is trying to talk to you do you listen to it or do you just ignore cry it? <laughs> no you get you, you here's what ali does i would get into the fetal position immediately and just like plug my ears and sing a song because i'm not listening to that haunted shit whatever that ghost has to say to me he can say in writing to my lawyer right. i don't need to be like I don't need to be listening to your weird, creepy lullabies or like whatever. There's nothing good. This is what he's going to say. Hey, little mama, let me whisper in your ear. Whisper in your ear. Tell you something that you might like to hear. I got it. Okay. You know what? Somebody completed. You know how we said, if you guys don't know what we're talking about, we had a whisper song <laughs> at the end of the Fabergé egg episode. And so one of, oh, shoot, I forget who it was, but somebody tweeted at us and was like, you guys missed it. You could have said, I got a Fabergé egg and it looks so soft. And they've been hidden by Alexander Romanov. Oh. Well, see, that would have been, or whatever bars. his first name Spitting was. Spitting bars. Yeah, that would have been Spitting so bars. good. I for, dang it. If you said that, please go to our at Let's Get Haunted on Instagram and leave a comment and be like, that was my lyric. Because I want to give you credit. It was so good. So now that the ghost of Richter is like this regular occurrence aboard the UB-65, most of the crew obviously requests to be relocated. They're like, yeah, I cannot with this submarine that already sucks. Plus, there's <laughs> just like a known ghost that everyone's seen, even the captain. Yeah, so the, I literally cannot. The German headquarters, they're like super suspicious of the shell, the um, commander the captain because they're getting all of these relocation requests and they can only assume that it must be because the captain sucks because like his job oh, is sucks. to keep everyone together right like he, he's supposed yeah. to like inspire teamwork and he has to keep the morale up and he has to make it so that like people don't collapse under the pressure like a good captain will make people want to stay on the submarine because they're it's like their crewmates and they're all bonded together and they're all like right. motivated right so they literally get this committee of these like five super high ranking officers and it's headed personally by this guy named Admiral Ludwig von Schroeder. He's the commander in chief of the German submarine forces. And so he comes aboard the UB-65 and I just sent you a photo of him. He literally looks like just the most serious Colonel man Sanders. ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, this episode is just rife with me referencing American food <laughs> mascots like Chef Boyardee, the Pillsbury Doughboy. This guy looks like Colonel Sanders. Right. So Natalia sent me a black and white photo of a dude in full military regalia minus the hat. He's got a white beard, a white mustache, white bushy eyebrows, white hair. Yeah. He actually, you know, I'm very impressed by how much hair he has. I feel like somebody of this age would normally ha like be balding, right. but not this dude. He's got, his last name was Van Schroeder. Yeah. Is that what you said? Admiral Yeah, Ludwig Van Schroeder looks Schroeder. like he's, yeah, he like founded hair club for men. <laughs> he looks ready to go on a date. What if he's with, like 25 years old With though? a lady. Like you cannot tell how old these people are at that time, you know? 
You really can't, honestly. And I'm sure war ages people. Yeah, they have the opposite um, of Benjamin Button's disease. Like everyone was yeah. like just born smoking cigarettes and, <laughs> and like old and just gets older. Also, also so many hot people died in World I War Two. I'm like looking at old like American inf- infantrymen pictures. I'm like, wow, the gene pool really declined after this war. Oh, I, um, know. I know. I know. Like all the like hot, strong people went off and didn't procreate. Yeah. And died. Yeah. Okay, so this guy, I mean, he's got these very... (laughs) Shout out to all the men who listen to this podcast. (laughs) You know what? If you listen to this podcast, you're hot. That's what a bunch of people were saying on Twitter. They were like, they were like, don't like, go vote for LGH for best podcast in the Shorty Awards. Hot people vote for LGH. Be a hot person. (laughs) Okay, so... This guy, Von, Von Schroeder, his eyes must be blue. Again, it's black right. and white, so I can't really tell. But they're very, like, light-colored, piercing, staring at you, gonna steal your soul. He's giving me, like, owl vibes. Basically, he's a super serious-looking dude. And he comes aboard yes. this UB-65 because he's, like, trying to figure out, like, what kind of abuse is going on or, like, if he needs to take Shell out of his pres- position because he sucks. And he interviews all of these people one by one and they're all like oh well there's a ghost aboard the ship this richter you know lieutenant richter is aboard the ship if you spend like one night here you will see him and so he spends the night on the boat and then he claims that he never saw lieutenant richter but at the end of the investigation he replaces the entire crew he says oh the whole crew can go so it's it's unsure and they were scattered in all these different u-boats so we're unsure if he was just like okay these people are crazy and right they, like just need to get off of this and just for better for their morale or if he was like okay maybe or if really like he ghost. did see the ghost yeah yeah know. but was just again like gaslighting everybody for his formal report because again what are people gonna think if he in his formal report is like yeah i saw a couple ghosts <laughs> Um, like this shit is definitely haunted. Like he doesn't want to be court-martialed or whatever. Right. So he's probably like, no, there's no ghosts, even though he's personally feeling like, yeah, the vibes are terrible here. <laughs> and then he probably puts in his report like, hey, this could be an issue of mass hysteria right. or something. So let's just like scatter everyone because clearly they're feeding off each other's delusions. Exactly. So he has this investigation quote doesn't find anything sends the crew like disperses the crew sends them all to different u-boats to have like their new lives and then he puts the ub-65 in reserve so it's like in a port eventually a new crew is put together but it's too late they already know how haunted this ub-65 was so they're like not happy about being assigned to this u-boat this haunted u-boat um and so then in an effort to keep the morale up there's a Lutheran pastor who's brought in. His name is Franz Weber, and he holds an exorcism to bless the UB-65. The Ooh. military literally brings in a Lutheran pastor to have an exorcism on the UB-65 and bless it. And Amazing. what do you know? This churchly intervention was seemingly effective because there were no more ghost sightings on board okay. for a while. Yeah. Can a Lutheran pastor even do an exorcism? Yeah, I, was only Catholics. I, I was raised in the Lutheran church. Yeah. And I feel like I have only ever heard about exorcisms being performed in the Catholic church. So that makes me think that, again, this was them just trying to appease right. 
and like artificially boost morale by having like a fake exorcism yeah i mean maybe they to get people to feel better yeah that's exactly what it sounds like to me like they just like we're yeah. going through the motions they're like we'll have a church person come like everyone shut up get back on this haunted boat so a couple weeks after the exorcism again one of the young officers reports seeing a man in uniform in the torpedo chamber and the young officer says that when he shouted at this unknown man in uniform, because he's like new to the crew, and he's like, I've never seen this guy before, the man just crosses through a steel wall out of view. So he literally just like walks through a wall. Exactly. Yeah, no. Again, no. <laughs> and then in February of 1918, the UB-65 is bombed by British planes while at port. And everyone rushes into cover, but a sizable piece of shrapnel literally beheads one of the officers in front of everyone. Oh my God. And his headless corpse is just on board until the alarm is ended. So everyone just has to be next to this headless corpse for hours. No. And some of the sailors claim that as they were rushing to cover during the attack, they saw Richter's ominous figure standing on the bow deck of the ship with his hands folded as usual. And then soon after that attack, the officer who was beheaded was seen aboard the UB-65 Mm-mm. as well. Mm-mm. So are the, like, at the, people are wondering, like, am I hallucinating? Are there ghosts? Like, what's going on? Right. But people keep seeing it. So in May of 1918, the UB-65 is cruising in the Bay of Biscay when the sailor who's named Eberhardt is shocked by this unexpected encounter with the ghost of Lieutenant Richter in the torpedo chamber. He runs into the ghost. He's heard about it from all of these people, and now it's happened to him. And he starts having a panic attack. He's going crazy. His friend, Richard Meyer, manages to calm him down, but it was too late. Eberhardt committed suicide by cutting his wrist. Oh, my God. So then the next day that his friend Richard Meyer has a panic attack aboard the UB65 and he's he's like I have to get off of this submarine you know one of my friends just committed suicide like the, I'm seeing ghosts I, I like just whatever it takes right. I have to get off of here and he even tried opening one of the manhole covers while the ship was underwater oh shit people said that he had been behaving really strangely for a while after the death of his friend Eberhardt and he had even been heard incoherently shouting something about how a ghost wouldn't leave him alone and would re- regularly appear in front of him at night as if wanting to say something to him. So to calm him down, the officers aboard the UB-65 just gave him some sedatives and then like literally tied him up in the captain's command room so that he couldn't hurt himself. Right. But somehow... Meyer managed to escape and he got out to the deck of the ship when it was at the surface and he just jumped into the sea and swam into the night and there was no chance of him being found or rescued obviously so it's unclear whether he just committed suicide or he was like fuck it I'm going to swim to shore and get off of this but his body was never found or like he just had a psychotic break and he wasn't even thinking oh I'm going to kill myself or oh I'm going to get to shore he was just like get me the fuck out of this haunted U-boat exactly so to make matters worse, the next afternoon, two British destroyers discover and they attack the UB-65. They hit it with five water bombs. And during the attack, the crew is just like waiting in horror and they see this explosion rupture the ship's hull. And there's this strange greenish-like set of lights, which are similar to St. Elmo's fire, 
and they're seen vibrating on a pipe system, which is just like meandering through the inner walls. Like just lights are going all along the pop, the pipes throughout the submarine as they're getting hit by these bombs. And the crew claimed that they felt as if someone was standing next to them. Even some of them said that they felt a hand being put on their shoulder despite nobody being there when they turned around. So the UB-65 survives the bombing and it returns home, but obviously after what happened, the crew was just replaced again yeah. because they were all They're, crazy. Yeah. And do you know what St. Elmo's Fire is? No, I don't think so. According to Wikipedia, St. Elmo's Fire is a weather phenomena in which a luminous plasma is created by a corona discharge from a rod-like object such as a mast, a spire, a chimney, or an animal horn. It has to be in an atmospheric electric field. And so the intensity of the effect, which is a blue or violet glow around the object, is often accompanied by like a hissing or a buzzing sound, and it's proportional to the strength of the electric field. So they're noticeably primarily during thunderstorms or volcanic eruptions. So I sent you some photos. One is St. Elmo's fire crawling across the front of the cockpit of a plane. The second one is St. Elmo's fire happening like on a spire. Yeah. So Natalia sent me two photos. These they're both color photos. So I'm assuming they're fairly recent. Just like she said, the yeah. first one is um, across the windshield of an some sort of aircraft or airplane. And it literally looks like either lightning or um you know like the pattern that your the blood vessels in your body makes yeah Yeah, that's what it looks like to me and it's a bright glowing purple and it's yeah just crawling across the front windshield of this plane then the second one shows two spires going up into the night sky and there's just this super bright purple glow around part of the spire and then the third one Mm -hmm. that she sent me is super bright orangey yellow light and it this one looks like a wave this looks like a an ocean wave that is glowing but it's in the sky uh it looks like maybe it's against some sort of like transformer or or telephone yep. wire i'm not really sure and then the background is like yeah like a dark stormy night sky so interestingly enough saint elmo's fire has been around you know forever basically because it's a natural phenomenon so we have like history of people experiencing it in fact welsh mariners would call it spirit candles or candles of the holy ghost and russian sailors have uh called them saint nicholas or saint peter's lights and saint elmo's fire was even reported to have been seen during the siege of constantinople by the ottoman empire in 1453 the Byzantines attributed it to a sign that the Christian God would soon come and destroy the conquering Muslim army, uh, but it disappeared just days before Constantinople fell, which ended the Byzantine um, Empire. So it's like usually seen as a bad omen. Yeah, it. Do- I mean, it looks creepy for what it's worth. It looks like Halloween right. creepy. I don't know. It reminds me of like a movie. You know what it reminds me of? Frankenstein. If you've ever seen Frankenstein mm-hmm. and they like turn on the switch or they pull the lever and all these sparks are flying everywhere it looks very demonic and creepy and like something mad scientisty is about to happen but my point is like it's not what you want to see along the inside of the walls in a submarine while you're underwater getting bombed no absolutely not and there's someone's hand on your shoulder that's a ghost i don't want to see it ever let alone in those circumstances (laughs) 
<laughs> so now this brings us to the beginning of our story. Eight days after the UB-65 was bombed by, this, by the British at port, the crew of the L-2 American submarine that I brought up at the beginning of the episode is cruising at periscope depth 20 meters below the surface. The captain notices sound of propellers, but the noise disappears before he can find the source. Then, as if appearing out of nowhere, a German submarine is seen drifting on the surface. There's no movement on the ship, but a lone officer stands at the nose of the vessel with his arms folded, looking out to sea. The captain orders a strike, but before he could order a torpedo to launch, an unexpectedly large explosion occurs and the enemy disappears into the depths of the ocean. Soon after, the German fleet issues the following press release, quote, One of our submarines, the UB-65, has not returned to the base, so it must be considered lost along with its 34 officers and soldiers. Creepy. They never find it. They just assumed that it's lost at sea. It went down. They don't know what happened to it. But in 2004, the shipwreck of the UB-65 was found. Oh, shit. Yes. So in 2004, during a sea expedition, which was launched by this British show in Britain, I'm assuming, called Channel 4's Shipwreck Detectives. (laughs) Hey, that's pretty tight. Exactly. Yeah, what a cool idea for a show. Shipwreck Detectives. Yeah, super cool. It's It has this, uh, finds this wreck. And Shipwreck Detectives has this renowned marine archaeologist, which, by the way, marine archaeologist sounds like the coolest job you could possibly have. Yeah, definitely. And his name is Dr. Inez J. McCartney. And he identifies the remains of this German submarine and he says, this is UB-65. I can tell by the markings. I can tell by um, the the shape of it and uh, how it's resting. Like, this is UB-65. And it was confirmed through the labeling of the ship. But it brings up a lot more questions. And, and it makes the story even weirder. For example, the resting place of this wreck is really far away from where the Americans were supposed to have seen it explode. The authenticity of what um, the Americans said is questionable. We're not sure. Okay. Second, the remnants are in really good condition and they show no trace of external damage or any damage at all, which would have been caused by an explosion that destroyed the ship, making it an even greater mystery as to why it went down at all. Additionally, even more creepy is that some of the crew might have even tried to escape the ship because the deck opening is still wide open and the wreck is considered a war grave so they didn't want to disturb um, it at all but they could see from outside of it that like okay no it didn't explode and some of the hatches are opened so that means people tried to escape after it went down right To make it even more haunted, in the early 2000s, several tabloids reported the frightening experience of passengers of some ships passing off the coast of Cornwall. Witnesses allegedly addressed an officer standing alone on a ship to ask for directions. The man did not respond to their questions and simply just disappeared. They said that the officer wore an old-fashioned uniform and stood with his hands folded, staring rigidly into the distance. 
sounds like a fucking ghost. I'm going to send you some photos of the shipwreck. First photo I sent you is the deck cannon of the UB-65 underwater. And the second one is the propeller. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So these pictures that Natalia just sent me are definitely underwater photos. You can see, um, I mean, it's really dark. It's like really dark underwater background. And the pieces of the U-boat are covered in algae and coral and mollusks and definitely looks old as shit. Um, Also haunted. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm just really surprised that anybody even found this. In the background of the second one, there's a school of fish going by. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, the idea that there is a profession that just looks for shipwrecks sounds like a really fucking cool profession. So I'm glad that... Uh, England has a TV show so that we can all watch this because I might Google the name of this TV show once this episode's done. Shipwreck Detectives. Yeah, that's fucking tight. (laughs) That's really cool. (laughs) It is really cool. Maybe we should call ourselves like Haunted Detectives. Yeah, well, wasn't it the Ghost Doctors? We're in a different episode Uh, you told me about. Yeah. Right, yeah. Shipwreck Detectives, Ghost Doctors. We need to come up with our own cool name. (laughs) If you guys have a good idea, comment it in the comments below, whatever you, wherever you want. Somewhere we'll see it. Yeah. So here's the theories. Well, before I get into the theories, I just want to say that some stories have, like, the German archives of the ship are just, like, official war documents. So they're not going to write in there and be like, oh, uh, there was an instance where someone said that they saw some guy walk through a wall or whatever. They're just going to be like, this person was discharged. Um, This person committed suicide. This person was lost at sea. This person was beheaded. This person was lost in a torpedo accident or whatever. Yeah, this guy was crushed by a falling piece of submarine. Right. They're not going to say it was because an old woman pushed a piece of the submarine onto him you know right yeah honestly it's really another example of ghost erasure let's give credit Mm. where credit's due there is a murderous serial killer ghost on the loose in this story right so these stories the story that i told you today is based on the confessions and rumors and like diary entries and letters that were from the sailors who were relocated after they got off of the submarine a lot of them like wrote and told people about their experience and so that's where the story comes from so theory number one is kind of like the skeptic um theory it's that this was like poor morale or psychosis or mental illness because modern submarine living conditions as we've talked about are like already scary like i don't want to be on a submarine no and those are like luxurious compared to the conditions that were on these ships that were deployed in World War One. I. I mean, you had 34 men. They're locked in this cramped iron tube. They have no opportunity for any privacy. The members of the crew have to endure each other's presence like constantly. So I, I'm an extrovert and I can't even be around people that much. Like I need my space. And it's like a just a very psychologically stressful situation. Additionally, only the authority of the commander and the spirit of the of their like friendship and their um, the like the morale of I want to say like the team spirit is the only thing that can like get you through the situation. Right. Like you want to you need to have like a strong team. 
and it's super crowded. There's like this constant stench of fuel and sweat. It's poor hygiene. There's only one bathroom for 34 people on this entire thing. And the sleeping quarters are this, that tiny room we saw. It's like claustrophobic. Everything's separated just by curtains. I mean, life was really difficult. So sometimes, as we talked about, officers even took like opium containing drugs to calm their nerves down so they could be hallucinating. There's like this saying, I guess, in Hungary where like if you're looking for submarines in port, all you have to do is follow the smell. And they're talking about just like how bad the hygiene is. Yeah. There, which is disgusting. And additionally, like you you have nervous tension. It's caused by just being at combat. Like at any time a water bomb could come and attack you Mm -hmm. or you could sink. You could just die at any time. So there's an incredible amount of stress. And yeah, people think maybe that's what caused all of this is just like the stress of being on the submarine. And then one person says they saw a ghost and then it travels. Right. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I'm sure sleep deprivation is part of it as well. I'm sure if you're going to bed late, getting up early, maybe it's hard to sleep because there's all these noises on this little tiny vessel. I mean, I remember in college, one time I didn't sleep for three days and I was for sure hallucinating. And then I was, I like thought I was going crazy. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. I just haven't slept in 72 hours. And so then I went to sleep and I woke up and I was totally fine. But yeah, I mean lack of sleep and high amounts of stress can do crazy things to the body i totally agree totally agree so that's one theory the second theory is that it was propaganda like there's there were like these horror stories that were spread by like enemy agents to destroy the morale so they would plant these stories and say hey like this German U-boats are haunted. UB-65 is really haunted because it was also like a really successful warship. So they like they were like, okay, well, we can't beat it. So what do we do? We just try to drive the crew crazy <laughs> so that they like n- they like can't keep their shit together and keep having to right. replace the crew. Yeah. The third theory is ghosts, which is like pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> People die on this submarine in horrific ways, and then their ghost is just seen there forever. Makes sense to me. Yeah, and like you have several sightings of people saying they saw the Richter with his arms crossed looking out to sea. And even the captain said that he saw him. He wouldn't want to make himself sound stupid. Like his whole job is to sound like he has his shit together, you know? Right. And then yeah. the last theory is cursed ship. And that's all yeah, I wrote well, yes. for it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I also don't see why it can't be all of those. And maybe that sounds like a cop out if you're new here to this podcast. But I mean, why can't it be? Why can't it be that the reality of war is horrific? You are witnessing things that you would never normally witness in your day-to-day life. You're watching Mm -hmm. your friends die in front of you. You're seeing people get their legs crushed. Um, For an hour, somebody's screaming and you're trying to help them and you can't do anything to help ease their pain. I mean, the the reality of war is extremely ugly. It's not Mm -hmm. all that the propaganda makes it out to be. You know, you see army commercials and it's like the few the proud the strong and like they're lifting heavy things and they look super manly and they're in front of a flag saluting like that's not the reality of war the reality of war is that people die horrible deaths they're in a lot of pain and suffering 
And to actually be thrown into that environment, I can't, I mean, it would break me. I can't imagine what that would be like on someone's psyche. Now, like sort of like we talked about in the Vietnam War episode, you combine those horrors of war with self-medication just to like make it through. So yeah, you're smoking weed or you're doing opium or you're taking meth or you're taking Mm -hmm. morphine, you know, whatever you can get your hands on, you're taking because the reality of your situation is so terrible that you just want to escape from it and then on top of it you're surrounded by like ghosts and demons in this crazy cursed ship and somebody's constantly gaslighting you into being like no there's nothing weird going on here so that just adds pressure because you're like am I going crazy am I not going crazy is it the drugs is it the environment is it my lack of sleep or is something insane really happening here and you've just got a perfect storm for one haunted as fuck submarine yeah I mean, I find it really weird that they found the shipwreck and then they couldn't find any damage done to it. Like, right, no, like it just went down. Yeah, they couldn't figure out why it went down. Was it Richter finally taking them to their grave? Or or maybe everyone just like disappeared and then uh, some of them escaped and they were like, let's just, you know, run away from the war and and never be found you know I don't know yeah I mean that's the mystery it's I mean it it had gone down and sunk to the bottom once before right and then you said that it inexplicably like rose up even though they they weren't really doing anything to like they there was nothing they could do to make it rise and then all of a sudden it just started rising so yeah yeah it could have just been another sort of malfunction where it sank or it could be a situation like you said where you know is someone else manning the helm is there some ghostly presence guiding this u-boat to its demise i mean that's the mystery yeah that's crazy so i'm gonna go ahead and read my sources before i get your final thoughts okay first of all i just want to thank the discord member strigioka what is this strigioka <laughs> strigoika whatever your name is strigioka look what is this s-t-r-i-g-o-a-i-c-a is that like italian strigioka i have no idea strigioka (laughs) yeah i want to thank this discord member strigoica for giving me the idea for this episode on march 27th 2021 they wrote about this topic in the podcast ideas section on your discord and look at us we're really doing it live from the discord so get in there if you have an idea um i also read an article called the fog of war lieutenant john foster in the al2 versus ub65 10 July 1918 by Samuel J. Cox, who is director of the Naval History and Heritage Command, and it was written in July 2018. I also listened to a podcast on Audible called Coastal Stories by Charlie Connolly. Uh, there was this one webpage, scaryforkids.com slash haunted submarine. <laughs> this is not uh, child appropriate. I just want to say this story is terrifying. <laughs> who... Who requests scary for kids? Like, oh, yeah. I want like, I want like horror, but like for children. Um, I also read this Hungarian article called Arborum Uzvezete, and Wikipedia, of course, Creepy Pasta, um, and then RareHistoricalPhotos.com. 
those are my sources. Love it. Amazing. This was a great episode, Natalia. I think that the Thank war you. episodes are my favorite. Anytime we're talking really? about like a World War One, World War Two, or Cold War, any any sort of war situation is so fascinating to me for all of the reasons that you've highlighted because it's the perfect storm of anything quote-unquote haunted you can think of. There's just so many opportunities mm -hmm. for curses to be born, for betrayal, for... I don't know. There's just it's just so many factors, so many like bad vibes meeting in one place that I think this is yeah, definitely one of my favorite episodes. I loved it. Oh wow. Thank you, Alyssa. I'm glad yeah, you enjoyed thank it. Thank you. Thanks, Strigo Ica. Yeah, thank you. And if you guys want to join the Discord, um, you can go to our subreddit, r slash let's get haunted, and just do a quick search with the word Discord in the search bar, and people have posted it on there multiple times, so you'll be able to find it. Yeah, basically, we don't know how to tell you to get there, but just <laughs> go figure it out through our social media. You can do it, we believe Right, I'm pretty sure it's on our link tree, too, so if you go to our Twitter, our pinned tweet is our link tree and if you click on that i'm fairly certain that i put a permanent invitation to the discord on there so it should work you should be able to click on it and join lovely well Alyssa, do you want to do our sign off oh wow i was so enthralled that i didn't even think of what to say hold on um brb gotta go harness saint elmo's fire mm. Mm. very nice bye, bye.